The topic of today's episode is how does the budget process work and not work? My guest is Tori Gorman, the policy director for the Concord Coalition. It is a nonpartisan grassroots organization dedicated to educating the public about federal budget issues and their consequences for the future. Tori spent 16 years on Capitol Hill, where she held director level positions advising senior members of the budget, appropriations, and tax writing committees in both the House and the Senate. Prior to her career in the federal legislative branch, she was the economist for the Maryland General Assembly. Tori, welcome to the program. Thanks, Kevin. It's great to be here. So this episode is devoted to the congressional budget process. It was established in 1974, and Congress has modified it a little since that time. In the simplest terms, how is the budget process supposed to work? The supposed to work. Nice emphasis there. It starts with the president, actually. I know it's called the congressional budget process, but it starts with the president. And the president submits his budget to Congress every year, usually around the first Monday in February. Then Congress begins to hold oversight hearings on agency requests. Those committees then send their input to the budget committee called views and estimates, basically. Then the budget committee gets to work drafting a budget resolution, a budget blueprint, just like a household creates a budget. Congress is supposed to create a budget for itself. Congress then passes its own budget resolution, the House and the Senate, that establishes enforceable levels of spending and revenue for the next fiscal year. Once those levels have been determined, the authorizing committees and the appropriation committees are given their homework and they set out, they get to work passing legislation that fits within the parameters established by the budget resolution. Your appropriation committees pass appropriation bills, discretionary appropriation bills that fund the government, and your authorizing committees get busy drafting legislation pertaining to the the programs that fall within their own jurisdiction. And once those funding bills and those authorizing bills have completed the legislative journey in the House and the Senate, they are sent to the president for his or her signature. With respect to the appropriation bills, the bills that fund the agencies within government, we hope to get all of that done before the start of the next fiscal year, which always begins on October 1. And that, in a nutshell, is how the process is supposed to work. Very good. So just to be clear, budget resolution, that's the blueprint. That's supposed to be done in April. Is that correct? Yes. The Senate usually completes its job by April 1, but they like to have both chambers. The way the process is set out in legislation, the goal is to have a budget resolution completed by mid-April. And all the spending bills, known as the appropriations bills, those are supposed to be completed by the end of the fiscal year, which you said September 30th, right? Right. That's the end of the fiscal year. The new one starts on October 1st, correct? And the idea is to obviously have your homework done before it's due. (laughs) Now, just to step back for a second from that large and complicated process, what are the goals of the budget process? Sure. At its most basic fundamental level, the goal is to pass all 12 appropriation bills before the next fiscal year begins. That is something that Congress absolutely and the president must do each year is to fund the government. Now, on top of that, 
a budget resolution may include additional tasks for committees. For example, there may be instructions to certain committees to produce legislation in a process known as reconciliation. So if there are committees that receive those instructions, then presumably they would complete their work according to a deadline. And Congress, in addition to passing the 12 appropriation bills, would also pass the ancillary reconciliation bills as well. And, you know, when Americans think about their own budgets, one of the goals that they have in mind is, well, I want to rationally allocate where I spend my money. Let's not spend all of it on fun stuff and forget to put money aside if the roof is leaking, for example. But also there's the interest in trying to have some rough balance between the revenues coming in and the money going out the door. Are those also goals of the budget process or not so much? So that's kind of a tough question to answer. I mean, the the goal of the budget process is to make sure that Congress moves forward and achieves its end goal, which is to pass the annual appropriation bills. Whether we pass a budget resolution that equates revenues with spending, that's a policy decision that's made by members of Congress. That's not necessarily an explicit goal of the budget process. Now, the budget process does involve looking out a number of years. In the most recent past, the typical budget window has been to look at the upcoming fiscal year as well as nine years beyond that. So giving yourself a a 10-year budget window. And by doing that, it enables members of Congress to look at trends in spending and revenues and identify if we have a problem. You know, if, if your spending and revenues are grossly out of whack and you're running huge deficits, which will lead to big debt, the budget process enables members the opportunity to spot that ahead of time and then move forward with legislation to perhaps correct that or head that off. I think we all know, however, that sometimes running a deficit is a good thing to do, and sometimes running a deficit is a bad thing to do. So I wouldn't say necessarily that the goal of the budget process is to eliminate deficits, but it is to inform members of trends in revenue and spending that could be problematic if not addressed. Excellent. Thank you very much for that. Now, I've been in Washington, D.C. for 17 years, and I've yet to meet anyone who thinks that the budget process is working well. Most people who think about the budget process think it's not working as it was intended and are very unhappy with it. There are a lot of reasons. There are a lot of different types of criticism. Let's break into pieces and start with the budget resolution, the blueprint, as you called it. Why has Congress so seldom passed a budget resolution in recent year? And is this a big deal? Are there negative effects from not passing a budget resolution? Good question. When it comes to the budget resolution itself, the process for passing a budget resolution through the House and especially the Senate is really an unattractive process. It is laborious. It consumes a lot of time on the Senate floor, for example, and it doesn't have many rewards. The budget can pass with a simple majority. It really jams the minority party. You know, it leads to really overt partisanship. It consumes you know, 50 hours of debate in the, in the Senate, plus some. So it really takes a lot of time. And then there are some just arcane procedural things associated with debating a budget resolution, including something called Votorama, 
which just really makes a mockery of the budget process altogether and makes it wholly unattractive for members to participate. And then you, you add into that the fact that Congress has figured out other ways to accomplish the same goals that a budget resolution is supposed to, to accomplish in ways that require less time and less hassle. So instead of going through the budget resolution process in order to establish these enforceable levels of, of spending and revenue, Congress has figured out how to do that using things like deemers and two-year budget agreements. So sort of front-loading their work in a different way. And it's gotten to the point now that only under very certain specific circumstances is a budget resolution even required. And so as a consequence, we really just haven't seen a budget resolution very often. One of the things I've heard about the budget resolution is that it's not simply a dry exercise in accounting where a list of figures about how money will be spent and revenues collected get put forward, but rather it's become a kind of vehicle for partisan messaging. And as such, it's very unattractive for either party in the minority to go along with a budget resolution. And moreover, the budget resolution itself, there are some sort of weaknesses where it's not entirely binding. There's ways to get around it. Are those criticisms accurate? Yeah, that is accurate. One of the interesting attributes of a budget resolution is it doesn't have the force of law. Okay, A budget resolution is a, a planning document. It's a joint agreement between the House and the Senate. It's not something that is sent to the president for his signature or her signature. So it doesn't have the force of law. There are ways to enforce the budget on the floor of the House and the Senate. There are certain procedural mechanisms, but they're pretty easy to override if you have enough votes. So you know, you go through, Congress goes through this, this big, huge Herculean effort to pass a budget resolution. And then the first piece of legislation out of the gate, once the ink on the, the budget resolution is barely dry, is something that, you know, exceeds the spending limits that are in the budget resolution. And then members of Congress just override it with a, a supermajority vote. So you, you look at that and there's a level of unseriousness that starts to seep into the budget process. And when that unseriousness tends to overtake the system in a process that is inherently partisan because especially in the in the Senate the filibuster does not apply to a budget resolution they can pass it with a simple majority your budget resolution becomes less and less of a planning document and more and more of just a policy statement sort of a messaging document and i think this is has taken on a greater role recently as the 10-year forecasts of deficits and debt have continued to grow you know, beyond a place where we can actually do something about it within the 10-year window. So as lawmakers are, are trying to posture themselves as being fiscally responsible and trying to balance the budget within the 10-year window, knowing that the revenue and, and, and spending decisions that need to be made in order to make that happen are just politically wholly impossible, the budget resolution becomes something that's just a messaging device because the revenue and spending parameters, the contours that underlie it, they're not founded in, in reality. So the resolution sounds like it's become a bit of an anachronism as far as the actual budget process and what the nation decides to do spending-wise, which brings us to the spending bills, the appropriations. We seem to see fewer and fewer appropriations being passed 
by both chambers and then sent on to the president as individual bills. Instead, we see Congress rolling multiple bills into omnibus legislation or simply enacting a continuing resolution, which essentially says, we'll just keep funding government the way we did last year rather than reassess where to put the nation's wealth. Why is this happening? Why is it so hard to just pass 12 appropriations bills? So depending upon who you talk to, I mean, you're going to get lots of different answers. And there are, there are several explanations, but I'll give you what I think is, is my opinion here. And I think the first is just a delay in completing last year's work. Okay. So if we don't get our fiscal 2020 bills done on time, then it's going to delay the start of the 2021 bills. And then that happens a lot. Even right now, for example, we're already, you know, two months into fiscal 2021. We haven't done our homework yet. It's quite possible that the 12 appropriation bills won't be approved until possibly well into next year which obviously will delay the start of the 2022 cycle. So that's, that's one reason. It's just we're not getting our stuff done on time. I think that the breakdown in, in, in comedy, the partisanship, the lack of statesmanship is making it hard to agree on the, the top line parameters. I won't blame divided government because we've passed appropriation bills in, in divided government before. It's just the inability of, of members to come together and cooperate. And when you think about why that's happened, For several years now, we've had thin majorities in both chambers, both the House and the Senate. There's always another election two years away. Party leaders want to protect their members, and that includes avoiding tough votes on amendments. So you stir this up into a pot, and you can see how shoving everything into one bill up against a hard deadline creates political pressure to pass bills that perhaps might not happen under the normal process. That's my take on why we're seeing this. Yes, those very large bills that happen at the very last minute certainly make for high political drama. And it's all too frequent that after they get passed and then signed by the president, everybody disses them and says, well, we didn't really want to do that, but you did it anyway. Well, let me just say, People say this, you know, tongue in cheek about Congress, but there there is an element of truth here. And that is, you know, they don't act unless there's a crisis. And so if you need to get funding bills passed, what do you do? You artificially create a fiscal crisis or a fiscal cliff. And I would argue that majority leaders of both parties have done a really good job of doing that. Yeah, it's a forcing mechanism. It creates a very stark choice. So we've heard about the resolution, which isn't going so great. We've heard about appropriations, which are are not following the model laid out in the 74 law. What else is not working with the budget process we have? In thinking about this, I went immediately to accountability. When I was a staffer in the Senate on the Budget Committee, we always used to joke about how the fact that there wasn't any budget jail. If you didn't follow the budget process, there wasn't any consequence. So I think there's a lack of accountability. There needs to be some sort of accountability in the process. Also, enforcement. We talked about how the budget resolution you know, doesn't have the force of law. It's just a joint planning agreement. But even beyond that, Congress has found a ways around other budget guardrails. We have something, you know, courtesy of the Budget Control Act of 2011, for 10 years, we had discretionary spending caps that were enforced by a sequester. If Congress violated the discretionary spending caps and appropriated money above and beyond what was allowed in law, then a sequester would happen. But Congress figured out pretty quickly that all they had to do to avoid the sequester was to delay the report 
from the Office of Management and Budget, the OMB report, that would carry the mandatory sequester order. So that's one way you know, of, of quickly circumventing the enforcement process. Same thing with mandatory spending. You know, we have a PAYGO sequester. So if you pass you know, entitlement or tax laws that violate the budget agreement and increase the deficit, for example, that overage, if you will, can trigger a PAYGO sequester at the end of the year. But Congress has figured out all they have to do is pass legislation that wipes the PAYGO scorecard clean. And they often bury that in an omnibus spending bill or, or some other piece of legislation. So the problem has been enforcing the work of the, the budget committees in Congress. Even if we have enforcement written into law, Congress has figured out cheap ways, crafty ways, sneaky ways to avoid the consequences of enforcement. So those are sort of the two areas where I think that the budget process really sort of falls down. Budget reform, fixing the process is notoriously difficult to achieve. But what the heck? Let me ask as my last question, should Congress keep the 74 congressional budget process or should we make a few tweaks to it? Or do we need to go bigger and scrap it and start afresh? <laughs> I think depending upon what day of the week it is, you'll, you'll get a different answer. I think what's clear is that we need a process that works in today's hyperpartisan atmosphere. We need to simplify the process. We need to reward bipartisanship and statesmanship in the process. And we need to penalize inaction or taking shortcuts. Now, whether that means scrapping the system altogether or tinkering around the edges, that really depends on what the legislative process will bear. I mean, it's fine for me or anybody else to stand up and say, hey, we should scrap this process and start all over again. But if the legislative process won't support that effort, then that's just wasting time. So you start to think about, okay, well, what will the process bear? And perhaps right now, in a time of, of divided government and hyperpartisanship, maybe it's small adjustments initially that will help build trust and lay the groundwork for future bigger changes. You know, there are small things that we can do just to tinker around the edges that I think might make the budget process just more fruitful, rewarding, and enjoyable without scrapping the entire budget process. But it's clear that there needs to be change. Well, as the old chestnut goes, politics is the art of the possible. Thank you for helping us understand how the budget process works and does not work. Thanks for having me, Kevin. <laughs>